Hello, I'm Felix Whitworthington III, podcast documentarian, and you're listening to Behind the Podcast. You might be familiar with a little podcast called Strangers and Aliens. If you are a podcast listener who listens to a niche genre within a niche within a subgenre of a niche. Now on their 250th episode, the Strangers and Aliens podcast has been talking about sci-fi fantasy and how it relates to real-life spirituality for a long time. But where did they start? Who were they before the fame? Actually, that's still them right now, before the fame. I mean, they're still before the fame, of course. But who were they before this period of before the fame? Well, up until this point, the traces of their past have been lost to iniquity has been lost to antiquity. But we have uncovered some early podcast episodes from before they were the strangers and the aliens. Once thought lost forever, they are now in our grubby little hands, and we are here to share them with you. In 2010, podcast listeners found this in their ear holes if they happened to come across a little podcast called The Fanboy Tollbooth. Attention, all true believers. Look, up in the sky. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? Want to get away from the room? Is there anyone on the air? Hello? Hello? Is there anyone on the air? Hello? Hello? With all is ready, I throw this switch. recording i'm recording good One, now two. we're gonna count and clap together okay. so that he can visually see the waveform and put it together or, or clap everybody maybe that's even louder all right yes. ready everybody ready One, One two, two, three. good three. now we're gonna count and clap together there we go so that can i don't think that works i think we have to do it again put it together. three or, or clap two, 
Maybe that's one, one two, ready, three. No one, one was counting with me. The Fanboy Tollbooth is one of two podcasts that led directly to the creation of Strangers and Aliens. And 250 episodes later, they still can't get the opening quite right. But at least we can say they've been on an upward trajectory since that first episode of Fanboy Tollbooth. Now... We are going to play some clips because, like every good anniversary episode, we're making a clip show. That's right. And so in this episode of Behind the Podcast, a special episode being created by me for the Strangers and Aliens to commemorate their 250th episode. We are unleashing upon the world podcast clips from 2010 like a horde of undead zombified zombies. That metaphor kind of died on the vine there. Anyway, the fanboy toll booth was a perfect blend of geeky humor, folksy down-home conversation, and wacky characters. It was part slice-of-life conversation, part pop culture review, part sketch show, and all heart. Let's listen. All right, well, welcome to the Fanboy Tollbooth Podcast. I'm Ben Avery, and in alphabetical order, by last name, I'm the first of three hosts for this podcast. And in alphabetical, and alphabetical order. order by first name, too. And in alphabetical Don't you just live the charmed life there, Ben. I do. B-A. Wait a minute. And not only that, growing up, I got to play Mr. T when we played the A-team on the playground. Because that, my initials were B-A. I thought it was because you to, looked like him. I had to well, play Ronald McDonald. <laughs> I got but to play I, the I kid that got chased Obi-Wan by the bully. Obi Wan Kenobi. Kenobi, and so I I died at the beginning of every time we play on the playground Star Wars. That rocks. <laughs> I was always C three PO, so I stayed home a lot. <laughs> but my name is is obviously in the middle of the alphabet, so sometimes the teacher would like you know make it real fun and, and go from Z to A instead, and I would always be like in the exact same spot. So anyway, my name is Steve McDonald. There you go. I'm always at the end of the alphabet. My name is Jeremy Zare. You know, growing up with a Z last name, it was it was really kind of like a, I don't know, uh, my my burden. And then you know, when I got to college, I got to go and say I'm in the back, and they would be like, Oh, there you are, and they'd hand me my papers and stuff like that. So, as you grow older, it gets better for those of you with Z last names. It does. You'll learn to work it's with better. it. Yeah, You'll it gets better with it. Yeah. It's so, amazing that we have. An A, a Z, and then, I mean, the 13th or 14th letter of the alphabet is technically the middle. So we have a, 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 the A, the Z, and then what's in the middle. So Wow. We didn't plan it this way, kids. Indeed, they did not plan it that way. But it did work out that way. And they are all better for it. Here's a clip from one of their... Wacky characters. 
Let's listen. Hello? Hey, Ben. Yeah, this is Ben. Hey, Ben, you there? Hi, Lou. What do you need? It's Lou. Lou Betterman. I know, Lou. What do you need? I had a rough day today, Ben. It was brutal. Tell me about it, Lou. Well, I know we disbanded the group, but I need some help. Okay, Lou. Tell me all about it. I mean, I know the group doesn't meet anymore, but I really could use it right now. Lou, I'm listening. What's wrong? On the way home from work, I was in the car, and I, I just couldn't stop crying. I had to pull over, but every time I regained myself and started to pull back on the road, I just started again. Lou, come on, man. You want to know why? Sure, Lou. Why? I was just driving home, and then I started singing a song. Just absent-mindedly singing, you know? Not thinking about the words, just singing. You know, the way you did with Karen Carpenter during group meetings. Just singing. And then I realized what I was singing. Oh, no. You all, everybody. You all, everybody. Acting like you're stupid people. Wear an expensive clothes. Lou, Lou, don't, man. I can't help it, Ben. I was just singing, and then I realized what I was singing, and then I was weeping, not crying softly the way a man is supposed to cry, the way Jack oh, did. Oh, but... Lou, come on, man. It's been a year since Lost was canceled. I know, I know, and it still hurts. I have nothing to look forward to. Lou, Lou, come on, man. You all, everybody... Oh, Lou, don't do this. You were doing so good when we shut down the group. We all agreed we were just going to meet for a year. And after a year, we'd move on. Come on, Ben. Are you really over it? Are you? I was sitting there singing and crying on the side of the road and looking at my ticket. Wait, you got a ticket? Yeah, you can't just sit on the side of the road crying and singing in the middle of rush hour on the Chicago Skyway. And I'm sitting there crying and singing, and I realized it's not coming back. Lou... In our last meeting, we all agreed that the DVDs were good enough. They aren't, Ben. You don't really believe that, do you? Did you wait to watch the DVDs until after reading the supplementary material we suggested? You know, you were supposed to read The Stand by Stephen King, and Watership Down, and Animal Farm, and Alice in Wonderland, and all... Yes, Ben, I read them. I read them all. And now I understand so much more of the nuances of the lost episodes. Fat lot of good that does me. I want... I need more Lost, Ben. I miss it. I miss it so much. I miss Jack and Kate and Sawyer and even Boone, Ben. I miss Boone. That's how bad this has gotten. Aw, Lou, listen. I miss the pseudo-religious sci-fi fantasy. What is there out there like that, huh, Ben? Nothing. And anything that came close is being canceled. The gone. Or if it's not, it will be. It should be. It's horrible. Flash forward. Gone. The cape. Gone. Wait, you liked the cape? I figured there was no way NBC could screw up superheroes worse than they did with heroes. I was wrong. <laughs> okay, look, Lou, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. I thought it was okay. I was wrong.
I need our group. Lou, the group agreed. We did just like the Lost Creators did. We set an end date, and we stuck to it. Yeah, but just like the Lost Creators, I wasn't ready for that end date. It was too rushed. There wasn't enough closure. Lou! I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. The Lost Finale was great. I'm sorry, I'm losing my head. It's going to be okay. You all, everybody. You all, everybody. Acting like you're stupid people Wearing expensive Blue. clothes Blue. You all, everybody You, you all, everybody Acting like you're stupid people Wearing expensive clothes You all, everybody You all, everybody Acting like you're stupid people Wearing expensive clothes you all, you all, you all, everybody, you all, everybody. Lou, it's going to be okay. Yeah, I know. Thanks, Ben. Ben? Yes, Lou? You think you could drive out here and give me a ride home? I sat here for so long with the car running that I ran out of gas. You ran out of gas on the Chicago Skyway? Lou, that's two hours away from me. Three with city traffic. Ben. You said you'd always be there for me. Let me tell my wife. Thanks, Ben. One of the hallmarks of the fanboy tollbooth was their late-night technical issues. Because this was 2010, they did not have the technology that we have today that allowed them to seamlessly record from three different Skype connections. And so they had to work at it, and it resulted in late-night hijinks, often off-microphone. Let's listen. But that's it's under name. the not-a-hoax, not-an-imaginary-story clause in the contract. That's right. Yeah. One of us will die. And, and it'll be available in three variant episodes. It'll be like that Clue movie. <laughs> Chrome cover. Yeah, chrome cover, <laughs> glossy paper, and it's got a scratch-a-sniff page, too, somewhere. And I one like variant will actually have, we're going to take the comics, or the, the episodes, rather, line them up and fire a gun through them, and it will have a bullet hole through the episode. Yeah. A bullet hole that is actually from a gun fired through time. Right. And it's going to magically go through a picture of each of us, the bullet, so that – can we uh, – that's just not – I don't know if that works. But can, can any of you listeners tell that it is midnight and we've actually been trying for an hour and a half to get this thing going? Anybody? Hands? Anybody? The bullet thing, man, that's real. <laughs> They did that with it. It was the ferret, I think, they did that with. <laughs> That's right. They shot the a gun through a stack of comics, and then the, they did it right through the center of the cover, and then the last page was a splash page of the bullet hole in the character's body from getting shot. Wait, the ferret, was that that one that was like the wannabe Wolverine kind of character from the... Uh, it was sort of like the bad... Mirage Studios, I think. No, not Mirage. No, it, wasn't it was Malibu. Mirage. It was Malibu. Malibu, yeah. But Malibu was owned by Image, wasn't it? 
uh, for a little while, and then they were bought by, and then they went off on their own and were bought by Marvel. But uh, Mike Miller, I guess, drew that issue. Are you serious? Yeah, because I was making some joke to him when we were talking one time about uh, imaginaries or something like that. And I said, yeah, we can shoot a bullet through it. And then I was like, yeah, you know, like they did that one book. You know, don't you? And then he just, yeah, then I drew that book. (laughs) (laughs) And the moral of that story. You should say, I knew that. See, I I knew. See, I'm right there with you, bud. The moral of that story is Joe, Mike walked away and never spoke to Ben again. <laughs> it was, and it, it was sad. You know, it was like the ending of every episode of The Incredible Hulk. Mike had his backpack. <laughs> the piano playing. Right now I'm acting like... Oh, those fellas. Did I mention it was 2010? Yes, I did. I remember, because it's written in front of me. Because it was 2010, when they invited their children to join them, their children were much younger than they are now. And so, I'm going to play a clip from their segment that they liked to call Kids Like Comics. Let's listen. Here's the first edition The comic book we're going to talk about today is Billy Batson and the Magic of Shazam by Mike Kunkel. I'm a seven-year-old girl, and here's what I like about Billy Batson and the Magic of Shazam. I liked it um, when there was no fighting and when they were just at home. And there was um, a picture of um, a guy doing a face, and it was really funny. And my favorite person is Mary because she's a girl. What I didn't exactly like was when um, they were just um, when when the when Billy Batson was talking with the old man. I think I skipped the part when he was talking to the wizard, and I don't like the fighting because I just don't like fighting. I think all boys would like this if they like fighting and superheroes. I'm a nine-year-old boy, and this is what I thought about Billy Batson and the Magic of Shazam. I like the story, and I also liked how the characters looked. There are some funny jokes, like when... They were trying to stop a train from going into a tunnel that was too low for all the circus animals that were on it. And so uh, his uh, little sister, um, she said that he should just carry all the animals out of the train. And he said, no, because I don't want to mess with a bunch of airsick elephants. I also like the part when his sister kept saying Shazam and moving out of the way of the lightning that changed them into um, their superhero or their secret identity so that it would hit her brother. And he just kept changing back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I really liked everything about it and there was really nothing I could say. Well, that was my seven-year-old daughter and my nine-year-old son, and I did this afternoon 
say, okay, I've read this, and and now I want to see what they they have to think. And they, they liked it. They did. That was and cute. Cute, yes. That's one word for it. Now those children are teenagers, which is not as cute. But they still do join their fathers every once in a while in the podcast Strangers and Aliens. Now, Jeremy is not a part of the Strangers and Aliens podcast, but he was a big driving force behind the fanboy Tollbooth. In fact, it was him who began the thing. Ben and Steve just hitched their wagons to the Jeremy train, which I'm not sure if those metaphors go together, but whether they go together or not, it is what happened. Let's take another look at some of those wacky characters that showed up every once in a while on the fanboy toll booth, starting with Professor Negatron, a supervillain comic book reviewer. No, not a reviewer of supervillain comic books, but a supervillain who reviewed comic books. Let's listen. Speaking of good and evil, um, we had our, our uh, official reviewer has, has come back with another review this week. Is he official? He's official? Yeah, Stanley said it's, it's official. This guy's in. He did his tryout last time, and all two listeners said that um, they wanted to hear him again. Yeah, but don't so, they realize that he's, you know, he's a bad guy, right? Oh, I mean, he's yeah, he's, he's a good. comic book writer. Well, I, I he's have the a worst. <laughs> one of the guys, <laughs> the bad guy. One of the guys uh, that that said they wanted to hear him again. I think it was his mother, and the other. And one I think the other one was him or him, maybe. Yeah, I think it was his his mom and him. But Stanley said numbers are numbers. Yeah. You know, so they don't lie. So yeah, he sent a, a review. Um, it wasn't a comic review this time around. It was about a. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, should we just go ahead and let him? Yeah, let it, let's let him talk about All it. Right. Right. Oh, hold on one second. Now, fanboy Solu presents a comic book review by Professor Negatron. Hello, I'm Professor Negatron. Uh, first, I need to clear up something from last week's podcast. I did a little math, and I found that being half a genius, technically speaking, means actually having a below-average IQ. My former ally, Dr. Dark Doom, thought he was being clever when he suggested I use the phrase half a genius to describe myself. But he didn't know that my iPhone just might have a calculator. And after I figured out how to use it and did the math, well, needless to say, I won't be robbing any more banks with Dr. Dark Doom. If he didn't have so many lackeys, I'd start a supervillain war with him. Oh, yeah. I gave my lackey his day job back. Turns out most people offering services on Craigslist or eBay aren't interested in being a lackey for a supervillain, even though I do offer full medical coverage. Hey, what? Now don't complain and pay for your baby, you toad. So, for today's review, I'm moving out beyond the range of comics, but not beyond the range of geekiness. Today, I want to talk about something very dear to every geek's heart, Star Wars. Now, George Lucas and his Star Wars franchise has inspired a generation of creative type people, myself included. As an aspiring comic book writer, I cannot deny his influence on my work, especially my 300-issue science fiction fantasy series, Space Battles. I've written the first issue. I just need to find an artist. Of 
course, Star Wars has had its missteps, like the ridiculous ending of Return of the Jedi, with Darth Vader turning his back on the dark side and sacrificing himself for his son. It totally ruins the impact of the prequel trilogy. But I'm not here to talk about the movies. I want to talk about the newest and, to me, the greatest incarnation of Star Wars, the animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars. The creators of this series have carefully crafted one of the most subtle and beautiful studies of the nature of good and evil. You may have seen kids playing Clone Wars pretending to be Commander Cody or Captain Rex or Ahsoka or Anakin Skywalker, and therein lies the genius. Here's the setup. The main protagonist, Anakin Skywalker, is destined to become Darth Vader. But for now, he's a good guy training the young Jedi, Ahsoka. Meanwhile, there's a war going on, and the good, and I'm making air quotes as I say that, but you can't see it because it's a podcast with no video, but the good side of the war, with air quotes, are the clones. Characters, children are meant to like and play pretend and whatnot. But let's take a closer look at these characters and the genius of storytelling. For you see, all the characters that children are supposed to like and relate to have a pre-written destiny. We know what happens to each of them. Anakin Skywalker has already slaughtered a tribe of sand people, and will kill a bunch of kid Jedi's, will turn on his best friend, will accidentally cause his wife to go into labor and die, will torture his daughter, will cut off his son's hand, and will betray his son to a creepy old dude. He also builds C-3PO. Essentially, Anakin is destined to become the second most powerful living person in the universe until a deathbed conversion in the last ten minutes of the last movie, which I skip anyway to avoid the Ewok celebration. Boy, did Lucas miss the mark with Turn of the Jedi. His treatment of the coolest characters in that movie was egregious, from Boba Fett's accidental defeat by blind Han Solo, to Darth Vader's deathbed redemption turning into a weak, kindly old dude, and then, a few minutes later, turning the baddest of the bad dudes, Lando Calrissian, Billy D. Williams himself, into a wallflower who can't clap to the beat at an Ewok party. But this isn't about the movies. Uh, where was I? Uh, C-3PO. Yes, so... Anytime C-3PO says, thank the Maker, he's really saying, thank Darth Vader. I say the same prayer every night at dinner when I sit down to a DiGiorno frozen pizza or Chinese takeout. Hey, I don't have time to cook. I'm hatching evil schemes. What? Oh, shut up. It wasn't a failure. It was a trial run. A college curling match wasn't good enough for someone of my, my status anyway. Now, Ahsoka. I only have two words for her destiny. Order 66. Wait, is 66 one word or two? Okay, I have two or three words about her. Order 66. Now, she's good. Children like her. And she's going to die because of Order 66. Either at Anakin's hands or at the clone's hands, she's dead meat. And let's talk about those clones. Commander Cody, Captain Rex, the others. You know what they are going to end up being? Murderers. They're going to be given Order 66, the order to kill all Jedis, the order to kill all their allies. This is genius storytelling, where these nameless clones are turned into viable characters with likable character traits that children want to emulate, and they are going to become murderers. So what does this teach children in crafting a show like this? It's supervillain training. That's what Anakin teaches being evil pays. And if you feel guilty about it, just do something good before you die. Uh, you know, whatever lets you become a blue space ghost. Ahsoka, being good, gets you killed. Probably by a friend you trust. And for the clones, I was only following orders is acceptable. 
as an excuse for terrible behavior. So if you are told to do something wrong, just blame it on orders. If kids will just take these lessons to heart, my job as a supervillain will be so much easier. Speaking of kids, my lucky had a girl, 24 inches, 9 pounds, 6 ounces. She's going to make a great lackey for my own kids, if I ever have any. Hey, now I have schemes to hatch. There's no time for love. Uh, speaking of schemes, yes, my radioactive gators and a college curling match plan didn't exactly work out. But my next plan, well, I don't want to give it all away, but I'm especially proud of the mousetrap mounted lasers. Oh, and I'd avoid the Notre Dame Stadium this week for the Notre Dame Navy game, if you know what I mean. But not nah, as good as a wink to a blind bat. But it wasn't all bits and wacky characters and segments and that sort of thing. No, it was also conversation. However, some conversation did springboard from some of those bits and segments and wacky characters. Like this... this conversation. The conversation that you're about to hear right now. That, for long-time listeners of Strangers and Aliens, you have possibly heard the sentiment echoed before. It is proof that the more things change, the more they don't change. In other words, they stay the same. And, and you'll recognize some of the things that get talked about here as they talk about the conversation from Professor Negatron about Star Wars. Let's listen. Um, I've never thought of it like that. I've never thought of it. <laughs> Here's the thing about Star Wars. Once you start looking too deep, you're 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 just gonna you're just gonna disappoint yourself. Well, the thing is, I mean, okay, the the Force is is good and evil in balance, right? Wait, we're. we're uh, I, I'm not gonna look deep at it because it's a cool action st- story that had good versus evil, and I enjoyed it. And as but soon as you start you... looking into it and doing the Kevin Smith. <laughs> Death Star blew up, and what about the people who were just building it? Yeah, the contractors. <laughs> were their political affiliations, uh, were they a influence on their decision to work on the Death Star? Yeah. But no, listen, I, listen. The, 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 okay, the, there's this balance of good and evil, okay? And if, you're, if you are, have a predilection for, towards good, you can use the good side of the Force. You're a Jedi. If you have a predilection towards the bad, you're a Sith. You can use the, the, the dark side, okay? But the Force is all about balance, right? Okay? So there's this prophecy that someone is going to bring balance to the Force, okay? It's a longstanding, thousand-year-old prophecy that someone is going to bring balance to the Force. And for uh, like a thousand generations, the Jedi have been in power, okay? Now... How? Where's the logical jump that anyone could have made that says, oh, wait a minute, we've been in power for a thousand generations. Whoever this person is that's going to bring balance to the Jedi is going to go so deep, so hard, so fast into the dark side that it's going to be cataclysmic. And, oh, is is this the one that is going to bring balance to the dark side? Let's just let him run rampant all through the galaxy. Why wouldn't they keep this person under lock and key and say, no, we don't want this person to bring balance to the dark side? First problem, you're talking about the prequels. Yeah. And, and okay, I, yeah, I should They are very that. beautiful movie. They're beautiful-looking movies. 
beautiful looking movies, but you can't apply any any logic to yeah, them. Yeah, the thing about the thing about the prequels Horrible to me logic. is they're like the pretty cheerleader that's not really smart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they got, they got something going on there, but there's not enough to kind of keep me interested. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. I love the pretty special effects and you know, but. And there's some great action sequences. Oh yeah, there's a lot of fun action. Yeah, oh, yeah. Darth Maul versus uh, Obi or Obi Wan and Qui Gon is one of my Qui-Gon, favorite yeah. fights of all time on Star yeah. Wars. And but uh, there's it's really you know a light light snack without any filler. You know, like it doesn't yeah. fill me up. You know, like, there's there's two metaphors right there. Oh, uh, but here's the thing. Here's you know. here's the thing I'm wondering though, and and this. You know, this goes back to Negatron's comment, even, that Star Wars has inspired so many creative-type people to get into creative arts, be filmmakers, be writers, be storytellers, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The original trilogy. How yeah. has the prequel trilogy done that same thing for anyone? I that's can't what I would, see it. No. And I'm very curious about that. And that's where, for me, the argument is... As far as Star Wars, you can't argue the plot stuff. Not, not, no, not not for the prequels at least. No, and and even the even the original trilogy, the storyline is really sparse. But you know it's what? You, good. You, you might you might and not have you, you might not have a a, a a a really good way of of arguing it. Yes, but the thing is, once you start thinking about it logically, it all breaks down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's 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 hard for me to watch any of the movies now because it's just it's just it doesn't make logical sense. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, it's not cynicism. It's it's you're thinking it through logically, and all of a sudden this doesn't. I mean, two plus two equals what? Seventy eight. I mean, it just doesn't make sense anymore. I, oh, oh, that's Steve. Yes, it doesn't make sense anymore. Here's another clip. I'm not going to introduce it because I can't think of a good segue. But let's listen. Hello? Ben? Yeah, Lou. It's Ben. It's Lou. Lou Betterman. I know, Lou. I have caller ID on my phone. Cool. Hey, Ben, I had a little situation come up. I'm stuck under my couch because the bookcase fell on top of it. A bookcase, I should mention, full of all the books that lost referenced in the entire series. By the way, the books you made me buy. So it's a pretty heavy bookcase, and I'm jammed underneath. Oh, no. Lou, how in the world could you possibly have... Well, Ben, I was watching TV. Sometimes I like to turn on the TV and just watch ABC for old time's sake. You know, to remember the good times we had with with Lost, you know, ABC and me. Jeez, Lou, you sound like someone calling up an old girlfriend. Well, I I wouldn't know about that. Anyway, do you know what happened? I saw a commercial, Ben, a commercial with a title card that looked just like Lost's old title card. My heart skipped a beat. Do you remember after Lost, people used to talk about a Lost sequel series or something? Yes, but those were just internet rumors. Well, I wouldn't know about that. I don't have internet. You don't have internet. Ben, remember when they killed off... 
three. Remember the end of season three, and they kill. They kill. I can't even say it because it's it's too fresh. Lou, just tell me, how don't you have internet? All year when we were meeting in our Lost is Cancelled rehab group, I sent emails to LostFanLou49 at Gmail. Well, you see, after they killed off, after the death of... Lou! Well, the thing is, I knew they were going to kill him off because I read a spoiler online and it ruined that episode for me. So I had the internet turned off and made my cousin Mabel check my email for me. And you haven't turned it back on? No, Ben. The internet hurt me. It destroyed something very important to me. Why didn't you just avoid the spoiler websites? Because I'm weak, Ben. You know that. Anyway, people were talking about a lost sequel series, and I saw this commercial, and it looked like it was the lost sequel. Oh, no, Lou. What was it? Don't tell me. Off, Off the, the map. map. Lou, man, that's not a lost sequel. Tell me about it. It sounds like one. Lost. Off the map. Off the map, lost. It's just the kind of title J.J. Abrams would use. You know, if you're lost, where are you? You're off the map, right? Lou, it has nothing to do with lost. It had doctors! And Jack was a doctor. You know, doctors coming to an island to help people. It could have been, like, doctors using the healing properties of the island to help people. Lou, the island didn't work like that. It was... No, I'm not getting into this, Lou. All you had to do was watch the commercials to know it had nothing to do with Lost. They kept saying it was from the creators of Grey's, Grey's Anatomy. Anatomy. I know. I thought either it was to throw people off the track or, you, you know, the Grey's Anatomy people did that science fiction show Defying Gravity that was all sci-fi with flashbacks, you know? Of course, it got canceled just like every other show I like. Lou. What happened? How are you underneath a couch and a bookcase? Well, I got so excited. I started gathering together the stuff I needed to make a lost salad. You know, peanut butter, ranch dressing, potato chips, kidney beans, mandarin oranges, off-brand beer. You know, food that Hurley had stashed away in his stash so they could explain why Hurley could be on a deserted island and not lose weight. Lou, that's disgusting. A lost salad? That sounds so disgusting. It's only disgusting when you start eating it. What, what, what does that even mean? Are you going to let me finish my story? So I started watching it. I started watching Off the Mat. And I realized it was just one of those lovey-dovey doctor shows. And I tried pretending that I was watching Lost, only someone just edited together all the Jack Kate Sawyer love stuff. And I just got angrier and angrier. And finally, I jumped up on the couch and threw my lost salad at the TV. And the couch tipped back, and I fell under it. And it hit the bookshelf, and the bookshelf fell on top of me. And my arms are pinned, and my head is pinned. And I've been watching ABC this whole time. Do you know what that means? That means I watched the entire episode of Off the Map, and now... Now I'm watching local news. Local news, Ben. Like I care who's running for the school board. So you've been pinned under there for how long? Over an hour. Over an hour? And you just now called me? You tried dialing a smartphone with your tongue. Lou, how? Uh, never mind. Can you come help me? Lou, I... Listen, you gotta stop this, man. TV, it's... It's like a woman, okay? And not a good woman. A woman who only wants your money. That's the commercials. See, they get money when you watch commercials. Are you listening to me? This woman, TV, every once in a while, there's a good woman who wants a longer-term relationship, like Lost was. But with TV, this woman can never stay forever. 
lost. She was a good woman, but she left us. Now we're looking for another woman, but we'll never find a woman as good as that woman. Okay, this isn't really working, but you get the idea, right? No. You and I will find another woman someday. Great. Thanks, Ben. Goodbye, Lou. Uh, Ben? What, Lou? Well, I sort of need you to come and help me. You know, get out from under that couch and bookcase. Lou, you live in Chicago. That's almost three hours away from South Bend. Yeah, I, I know. But I'll be okay. A late movie just started. They're doing a Three Stooges marathon. <sighs> Let me tell my wife. Thanks, Ben. Oh, the early 2000 teens. <laughs> well, here's another clip that definitely shows its age. However, it may be relevant to your interests, especially considering an upcoming big screen attraction. Let's listen. We have a, a news break here. Yeah, a, a breaking news. Breaking, breaking news. news. So check this out. <laughs> breaking news. This is Steve McDonald in the Fanboy Tollbooth Newsroom, and I am being handed a month-and-a-half-old breaking news story. Uh, comicbookmovie.com is reporting that Warner Brothers revealed that they indeed had plans for a live-action Justice League movie and had a full plot and cast ready. But Christopher Nolan, Superman Returns, disappointing box office numbers, and other factors led to it being canceled. In 2006, after Superman Returns made disappointing numbers at the box office, Warner decided to produce a live-action Justice League movie to cash in on the cartoon's popularity and hopefully jumpstart spin-off franchises starring the team's members. A script was written by Kieran and Michelle Mulroney, it says here, and which made the Warner executives very happy. The movie would be set in the same universe as Batman Begins and Superman Returns. I am being told that we have a reporter on the scene of the canceled script. Roving reporter Steve McDonald is live at the scene. Steve, what can you tell us? Thanks, Steve. The devastation is incredible. The epic storyline and classic JLA lineup is in smoking ruins. But the biggest casualty, I'm afraid, might just be the fans. The story would have gone something like this. It begins with Superman wearing a black and silver costume, landing on the rooftop of a church, where he meets with Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, and Martian Manhunter. We have no idea how Aquaman got up there. Together, they descend into the streets, where they are surrounded by civilians and journalists uh, as they enter the church, where a funeral is being held. Batman watches them from afar. Six days before, Batman, using a state-of-the-art surveillance satellite called Brother Eye, spies on the other members of the Justice League. Clark Kent, Diana from Themyscira, Barry Allen, John Stewart, Arthur Curry, and John Jones. After Batman leaves for a meeting with Maxwell Lord under his civilian identity, the Bat computer is hacked by an outside source that uses Brother Eye to resume spying on John Jones, a police detective from Central City. John receives a package, and upon opening, a swarm of nanobots is sprayed on his face. 
they enter his body and take over his movements, forcing him to reveal himself as the Martian Manhunter to his co-worker before making him fly to a certain location in Colorado. Barry Allen spots him and attempts to follow him as the Flash, but fails. Upon arriving in Colorado, John is captured by mysterious forces. As the Justice League investigates Martian Manhunter's disappearance, Batman finds out Brother Eye has been compromised and that the files he kept on how to defeat each member of the Justice League have been stolen. Those files are uploaded on the OMAX, advanced cyborgs that take over ordinary people through a nanovirus. The OMAX are sent to destroy the Justice League, while a mysterious enemy uses nanobots to take over Martian Manhunter's powers and uses telepathy to take over Superman in an attempt to kill Batman. Wonder Woman and Batman engage in a powerful battle against Superman while Green Lantern and Aquaman fight the Omax sent after them and the Flash's investigation leads him to a castle in Belgica where he is murdered by the mastermind behind the attack after finding John. The mastermind is not one but two Maxwell Lord and Thalia Al Ghul. Lord believes that the superheroes are taking over the world and changing the natural course of history and wants to destroy them to save the world. Mathalia, the new leader of the League of Shadows, wants revenge for her father, Ra's al Ghul's death at the hand of Batman years prior. They have created the OMAC virus with the help of an outside source and used the OMACs to attack the Justice League. Batman finds Lord's hideout and Wonder Woman snaps his neck to release John and Superman from his control. Thalia fights Batman and is defeated, but the Justice League now has to deal with an OMAC army and the real mastermind behind its creation, Lex Luthor. Using a powerful EMP generator created by Wayne Industries and aided by the former Kid Flash, Wally West, now the second Flash, the Justice League defeats the OMAX, but Luther gets away with his involvement in all of this. Batman leaves the group, Wonder Woman receives murder charges, and Wally decides to join the Justice League and honor his uncle's legacy. At the ending, it is revealed that there is a fourth villain involved in this conspiracy, Darkseid, who is planning an invasion to Earth, setting up the sequel. Steve, back to you. Thank you, Steve. And we also have the following information about this failed production. Uh, it appears that Christopher Nolan felt that the movie would damage the image of the sequel of Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, which was already in production. Miller decided to rewrite the movie by himself, making it a gritty, bloody, almost Watchmen-like tale that delved deeply into the Justice Leader's troubled psyches. Warner decided that it was just not worth it to continue with the project and interrupted the production two weeks before filming began. Here's another dated clip. As the three, Jeremy, Ben, and Steve, discuss a movie trailer that had just come out. Let's listen. Um, the Green Lantern trailer came out, and uh, Ben posted it on the blog. Ben, what did you think of the trailer? You know, I liked it. And here's why. I liked it because I like what it looks like they're trying to do. I hope they do what it looks like they're doing, which is just the big, crazy, science fiction type of superhero story instead of the Dark Knight Returns, which I like Dark Knight. You know, I, I like Dark Knight, but it's, you know, it's real. They're trying to make the real superhero with Dark Knight. They're trying to do it with X-Men even. You know, with the costumes or anything like that. But with, with Green Lantern, they're going into space. 
and they're doing all the stuff with the Green Lantern Corps, which is cool. Just oh, all the they? big, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. you know, the, he's going to the, the different planets. Most of it's going to take place on Earth, I'm sure, but you know, it's a big fantasy escapist type story cool. that I hope is just going to be good. But then again, it could end up being you know Superman three or something like that. So. Who's who's writing it? Um, I think Mark Guggenheim was involved with it, but I'm not sure what his like. I'm sure they have rewrites and stuff like that. Hey, anybody but, that has his own museum, hey, he can write a movie, man. That's awesome. <laughs> well, movies don't translate to museums. I'm sorry. There I mean, was that movie about a museum. I heard it made money. There's been several movies about museums with Ben Stiller. Oh, yeah. Then there's the Russian movie about the museum that was done all in one take. One take. That's the one I want to see. Movie. It's an incredible, incredible piece Wait, of work. what? A Russian movie about – we can't go there. Is that the <laughs> – is that like from – is it the Battleship Potemkin or something like that? What is that? No, no. It was, it was set in a, um, in a museum. It was and, the history of Russia and as they were traveling through the museum – Different people in different time periods were there, and it was all done in one take. And as they're walking from room to room, they come into this huge room with all these people, and it's choreographed, and then into another room with two people having a conversation. It's awesome. Uh, it's awesome. Okay. Uh, Steve, but let's, let's get back to Green Lantern. What did okay. you think of the Green Lantern trailer? <laughs> you know, I when I watched it, I I wasn't – wowed and i wasn't i didn't hate it i didn't like it it was just sort of like huh okay well that's that's a movie i'd like to see and um you know because of the the, the content of the what the bait what's based on instead of you know i didn't get like for tron for instance i i i want to see it because i want to see all those special effects make sense you know i want to see them uh, in their proper context, and I want to see like a fantastic story with with all those cool stuff reminiscing from the eighties and all that that fun um, with the green lantern I want to see it because it 's green lantern green lantern 's cool i 'd like to see him ha- has have a standalone presence you know it 's always you know green lantern oh he 's part of the super friends or he 's part of the justice League. and very seldom do you get a chance to see green green lantern shine on his own. It, so is that a pun intended? <laughs> no, oh. no, I intend very few of my puns. Ah, okay. Well, I personally did not like the trailer, and I'm very nervous for this movie. Uh-huh. Um, I I've never been a big fan of Green Lantern anyway. Um, I just don't like the concept of the character itself. What? Um, I don't. I just don't like it. I just. I, I I don't know. There's there's really no good answer for why I don't like the Green Lantern. I just don't. Um, you don't like the concept of the Green Lantern with the ring or the It's it's the ring, it's the it's It's a superhero based on will. Yeah. On sheer willpower. How many other I, superheroes I just, have indomitable will? I'm sorry. Their... The, the the thing I have a problem with is like him being able to like fashion a boxing glove. That's like, silly. You know, and, and just, it's too silly. And, and the thing it's is, it's just like, writers and creators not using it for the, 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 the breadth of the character. What I relying on, on sight gag. What I no, have read. But Steve, of, you can't say 
it was used wrong, and and that's the reason why you should like it. Because if it was used right, you should you should like it if it was used right. You have to take into account how it was used. There's something though about the character that just does not jive with me, and I don't know why. Um, and and I was excited that they were giving the Green Lantern a movie. I actually like Ryan Reynolds. I don't like him in this role. I I don't think he has the gravitas. To pull off Hal Jordan, from what I have seen, you understand what I mean? Like, I don't think I've seen him in enough things to say that he so seems not... too goofy. Um, like, there's that. The, you know what really clinched it for me in the trailer was when he's sitting there with his friend and he shows him turning on the the suit and he goes, "You know, right? You know that? Like, I know, right? That 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 scene where he's like, I didn't. Everything I've seen of Hal Jordan does not scream frat boy to me." And that seemed to be frat boyish. You understand what I mean? Like, I see Hal Jordan as a strong-jawed American hero pilot that has a little bit of cockiness, but he doesn't look like a guy who's going to be, like, at a kegger the next day. You know what I mean? And that's really what kind of drew me away from the world of Green Lantern. The visuals look great. I'm not big on the costume, but what more can you do with a Green Lantern costume without making it hokey? You know, but I I just was not big on it, and and I'm willing to withhold judgment. You can't judge a movie by its trailer, just like you can't judge a book by its cover. But I'm very nervous about this because DC does not seem to know how to handle a franchise properly, and I had a lot of hope for the Green Lantern, but it seems to have diminished <laughs> after seeing the trailer. Wow. What. <laughs> That's just my opinion. I mean, I, no. I mean, it's 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 interesting that each of us have a, a different opinion of it. You know, uh, Ben is uh, pro, you're anti, and I'm just sort of like in the middle. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't feel that way. Like, I haven't felt that way about a serious superhero movie in a long time. Like, mm-hmm. um, Iron Man, I was psyched about. I liked Iron Man too for what it was, but it seems to be like maligned among a lot of people. Like, well, as it, wasn't it wasn't that perfect. Good. It wasn't perfect. It was flawed, sure, but I liked it. I enjoyed it. I I didn't go and see it eight times like I would have gone if I really liked it. You know. Right, well, look at what for what it is though. You know, the Iron Man movies are big action movies, and but it's they, set they, in a realistic world. It's a science fiction action movie. It's it's Mission Impossible with armor. It's you know it's Bond with it's James Bond with with armor and. A lot and more money. A little more goofiness to it, you know? Yeah. But I'd like um, it to follow a little bit more, like, logic, you know? I mean, okay, the, the, for instance, I, I won't go on and on about this, but the, the bad guy uh, gets his little whips, okay? And he sneaks into the racetrack where uh, Tony Stark just happened to jump into a car and, and drive away on it. And it was unexpected. So I don't understand how he could have expected that unless he was just going to attack... Tony Stark's car anyway and he just happened to be Tony Stark driving it and then he's walking on the track there are cars exploding behind him smashing and exploding behind him and this is his mission he needs to do this to redeem himself and to redeem his father's name and all this stuff and but he doesn't care that he could die in an instant with a tire a, a loose piece of metal anything coming off of these cars that are exploding behind him as he's walking down the track and it's you know, it's very it's very I gripping. Friend, it's very Steve. dramatic. I had a friend like you, 
except more extreme. He hated the Back to the Future movie because yeah. Doc Brown should not have been able to hold on to that ledge with one hand at the end. <laughs> you know? Well, he's like, enough. dude, it's a movie. I understand it's, it's a movie. exciting. You know, you have, and, and so, yeah, okay, you suspend your disbelief at the door. You want logic, then that's what, you know, you go to the more realistic movies for, you know? Yeah, I understand, but you could you could have made that movie and kept the logic intact and but not had it many explosions. Look, it how many action it, movies? You could, have, you could have had that many explosions. You how could many have action had movies have find you seen? Find out a different way. How many action movies have you seen where the guy does not look back as the building explodes behind him? You know what I mean? That, like that's different. That's because he's accomplished what he has wanted to accomplish, and he is now leaving it. If he hasn't accomplished what he wanted to accomplish, he's diving away from it. And there's plenty of movies where you're diving away from this explosion because you haven't accomplished what you want to accomplish. There's a threat there. But this Any is other human being in a, with an exploding building behind them would turn around to make sure nothing's flying at them. Well, I don't know. Have you, have you ever – I mean that's – have you I seen would, the trailer for that's it. realistic, but you don't make that. That doesn't make the cool shot. No. Well, I mean Desperado when he's walking away with the guitar case and and Salma Hayek on his arm and the his hair is blowing Antonio Banderas when he was like, you know, young and attractive and all you see is this fire behind him and he's walking around walking behind or in front of it and like a cool customer with nothing nothing to lose at this point. You know, that's like the whole mystique of the action action star action hero you know but i get what you're saying you know his name his father's name everything down the tubes everything he's worked for and built himself up to to that point everything he's he's you know tortured himself for and and everything and one stray nut or bolt coming off of one of those crashes could kill him and he's just you know walking around i mean anything and it's it's it was just things like that It, it was over the top in in that in that category, yes, so there's I understand the that people that, do this all the time in action movies and and all that stuff. But the thing is, it doesn't happen when you have everything to lose, or else the whole movie was over the top. Though it was, I mean, he jumps out of the plane. The that was the point of the movie. But yeah. the thing is, this was so far over the top for that character at that time in the movie that it was too much for him to 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 be doing that. That it, it broke my concentration and okay. it, it broke. Wait, it broke you have phone. a problem with that? Do you have a problem with his love for the bird? I want my bird. His love for the bird was a. Uh, it it was very specific for the character because in the end, when his bird, you know, something happens to his bird, you know, it it follows through. So you have that thing, you know, and it, it when he wanted his bird, it was in in a, a request that he figured. If this person can get me my bird, then this person can do. This person can supply what, what everything that I need. So he he it was a test, and that was fine. Would you like to know what else is fine? The announcer for this next segment that we are about to listen to. You may find his voice slightly familiar. Yes, that's old Felix Whitworthington the third. When he was a little bit younger. <laughs> ah, was I ever that young? Yes. Yes, I was. Let's listen. Let's go to Twitter View. Hello. Welcome to the Twitter View, 
the part of the show that puts culture back into pop culture. With Twitterview, we interview a creative artist on Twitter and then perform the interview for you as a dramatic recitation. And so, without any further ado, Twitterview. Today on Twitterview, Ben will be reading the part of Katie as Yoda, while Jeremy will be reading the part of Ben as Chewbacca, and Steve will be translating the part of Ben as C-3PO. At Fanboy Tollbooth is conducting an interview with me via Twitter. So, you know, get ready for me posting too much for a few minutes. Weak smile face. Hi, Katie. Thanks for letting us do our third Twitter view with you. For people who don't, Twitter view is an interview on Twitter that we then perform in our podcast. I mean, for people who don't know. A Twitter view? Answering questions a mere 140 characters at a time. Stick your tongue! Yeah, not a lot for your answer, or my question, with the at name thing. Hmm, I wonder if I just sent a message to some ironic type guy calling himself at name. So, you're working on a number of projects. Tell us about your webcomic Gronk. We at Whispering Loon and at J.S. Zare, are big fans. I came up with the idea for Gronk while I was in college, back in 2002-ish. I had to do a self-portrait. Gronk was originally designed to be me as a monster. Then I started doodling little stories and adventures for her. I have notebooks full of gags, jokes, etc. for her. Eventually, I decided the webcomic would be the best way to use Gronk. HTTP colon slash slash www.gronkcomic.com Webcomics I love the setup of the story. It's hard to be a monster in today's day and age. Lots of pressure to be scary and eat bugs. Gronk is a rebel. That's what I love about Gronk. Not all rebels are leather jackets and switchblades. Some are cute and cuddly. <coughs> the other big project I know about is your work on Fraggle Rock. Care to talk about that for a bit? <coughs> I'm a big Fraggle fan from its first season in the 80s. I'm also a puppeteer now and love the DVDs. I love being part of the Fraggle Rock universe. Having my own page on the Muppet Wiki sends shivers down my nerdy spine. Fraggle Rock still has so much rewatchability. I can't wait to show it to my future kiddo. Fraggle Rock is like the Muppet Show mixed with the Dark Crystal. Happy and cheerful with an unexplored deep fantasy background. My kids like the comics. More than the show, actually. There are some wonderful lessons in each episode. Some dark enough you won't see them in a kid's show today. <laughs> Jim Henson said something like, This show will bring world peace in pitch meetings. <laughs> well, thanks, Katie. Thank you. Smile.
Ah, well, it made them laugh anyway. <laughs> and I guess me too, since I just forced myself to laugh as well. This next clip is their conversation about two movies that came out in quick succession. Voyage of the Dawn Treader and Tron Legacy. Let's listen. And, and we're, we're finally here. recording another episode. I think it's been like four weeks since we did our last one. It took me forever to edit the last one. So uh, we're getting one out just in time for Christmas. Just everybody's, everybody's quiet. This is a conversational podcast. Too much Christmas cheer. Yeah. yeah I've been overwhelmed Maybe. by Joy. <clears throat> well, that's because Joy has very, uh, very strong arms. And you, you, you just. She but she's a down. nice. She's got a nice personality. And a heck of a cook. What can she cook? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So last week. Uh, and two weeks ago, two big movies came out for uh, geeks and guys like us, uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader and Tron Legacy. Now, did all of us see those? I saw all of them. Ben, I saw uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And I saw Tron Legacy. I did not see Voyage of the Dawn Treader yet. So uh, what are we going to do there? That's I think, a, we, should, I think uh, we should bash him up and do a re- of Voyage of the Tron Treader. Oh, yeah, the light cycle uh, ship with, uh, with the digital lion. And, yeah. uh, and who's the village, in Voy- village, the villain in Voyage of the Dawn Treader? I don't know, but my favorite character is Reaper Chip. Of course. But um, bump. Wow. <laughs> How long were you holding on to that one? Oh, I just got that one. It was good. That was good. That was pretty good, yeah. So, yeah, I saw both, so I could talk about both with both of you. Okay. We could do the conversation at the same time. Yeah. So, like... Uh, here's my <laughs> mini-review of Tron Legacy. You ready? Ready. Two-hour toy commercial. Thanks for oh, ruining see- it for me, man. Thanks for ruining it for me. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Spoiler alert there, Jeremy. Come on. Two-hour toy commercial. That's all here's it was. Here's my mini-review. Here's my mini-review. Two-hour music video. Okay, that works. <laughs> um, you know, you know what it reminded me of in some ways was those old computer movies that I used to see on PBS in Saturday afternoon, where it's just music and computer graphics that are just not really doing anything. Yes. It's just a, you know what I'm talking about. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. No, you I don't can't know remember what it's called. I think I'm yeah. too old. I don't know what it is, but yeah, I know what you're saying. It, it, it did. It reminded me of that a lot. Like, it, I, I will say it was more satisfied, satisfying than any of the Matrix sequels. Did it have a plot? Yeah. It did have a plot. Okay. It did. I, I was hoping for something a little more significant, um, a little more complex. Um, but if you have issues with the plot of, say, Let's just let's just throw it out there. Avatar and Star Wars. I'm going to throw it out there. Simple plots with lots of eye candy. Um, it's it's similar to that, but I say it leans more toward Star Wars with likable characters. Yeah, <laughs> I I would agree with you there. I think I, I I would rather watch Tron Legacy over again than Avatar. Exactly. I, I haven't seen Avatar since I saw it in the theater. Um. But yeah, it, it's that same kind of thing. It's not very deep, or it, 
Well, Tron doesn't aim to be deep. Avatar no, tried doesn't. to be deep. You know, Avatar tried to have this deep underlying message, and it did have it there. Yeah. But I was not nearly as moved as some people were by the Avatar thing. But I, I think Tron was just – it was what a summer movie should be, that big popcorn kind of event film. But, but it also had – I liked the characters, and I felt like there was an emotional plot there. There was some emotion to this story rather than just big action sequences yeah, and, and character stuff to link them together. Yeah, I, and, I, and I did appreciate I, – I hadn't seen the original Tron until the night prior to seeing Tron Legacy. So I caught a lot of uh, tie-ins to the, to the original film. I'm glad that Bruce Boxleitner um, was in it. He, he's not in a lot of the uh, promotions for it. But I didn't recognize there. him in the promotions. Oh, was he in the was he in the trailers at all? He was in one or two. Okay, but he's wearing that you know suit and you know raincoat or whatever. Yeah, and glasses, and he looks old. Yeah, and I did well, not recognize he's him. Twenty five years older now than, or almost thirty years older now. So, but yeah, I was glad he was there. They make uh, reference to the uh, the villain from the first movie in the real world. Uh, as well, uh, it's nice. There was uh, there was a lot of cool callbacks, but um, I can see why you can't find it on DVD very easily <laughs> now. Um, they 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 don't. I don't think they want to have that uh, the juxtaposition of how poor the quality is compared to the new Tron because the old Tron. Well, it was awesome, and the time is not that good <laughs> graphic-wise no. to compared to what they did in the new movie. You know, like I could almost those... see them releasing the original Tron as almost like an extra on the DVD, it's, instead of like a two-pack Tron and Tron Legacy. But it's Tron Legacy and in the fine print extra on bonus disc. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, I, ma- I imagine they're gonna like pump it up and and. You know, do a remake, a remade version of it. A remaster with new graphics and stuff. That I was wondering about. That could be cool to go back and take all the original footage and just amp it up with with these new new graphics. Yeah, but the costumes. costumes, All you need is the face. Yeah, that's true. I don't don't know. I, I, I guess... You know, one thing that I appreciate about the old Star Wars as compared to the newer ones is that there was a lot of imagination required with the old Star Wars. Um, there was everything from the, you know, all the costumes looked like they were real. You know, it wasn't that clean. It was very dirty. You know, it just seemed real. And yeah. then the new ones, everything, all the animation is very clean, graphics and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's, it was not as exciting for me, maybe because I was, you know, 25 years older, but, you know, there was more imagination involved in the original Star Wars and the original Tron than there was in the new one. You know, the new when one. When I saw Attack of the Clones, I was taken out of the movie a little bit when I saw it in a digital theater and Yoda looked so crisp and clean and the human actors who were shot with a camera didn't. Yeah. Like Yoda looked more real than the real actors. <laughs> That's it. Doesn't make sense. They should do maybe 
try to do that Robert Zemeckis thing that he's high on now with the motion capture of the person and animate around them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I actually hate that whole thing. <laughs> I can't watch Polar Express. It just makes me sick. It's and a Beowulf. It's creepy. Uh, Beowulf was horrible. It just doesn't work to I me. didn't see Beowulf. But they're building, they're building the technology. To where they don't need actors anymore. Well, but I mean, as they're making these, every Robert Zemeckis movie they make, they're building on the technology. And that's where Star Wars and Tron, as I think about it, you know, they took the story and figured out how to shoot it and make it work. Yeah. Well, even the Tron thing, the young Jeff Bridges that they've been hyping uh, looks like one of those Robert Zemeckis characters. Uh, yeah, but that, that worked for me. Except for when you know when he was really him being young, it was short enough glimpses that you didn't get too taken out of the the story. Yeah, I didn't anyway. But then with with the young Jeff Bridges on the grid, who is you know Clue or whatever, um, he, I think the fact that he looked a little unreal fit. I like that. Yeah, but every other character was played by a real person. You know. Like maybe they could have done it for everybody that was that would have been interesting. Yeah, would have been done like that. So it kind of set um, young Flynn. I can't remember his name. Uh, Sam. Not, Sam. Uh, if they if they if they set him apart, you know, it would it would it would have been different. But I I, I would recommend it as a fun movie to watch with the kids. I didn't find anything offensive in it at all. Um, well- of course, you know, it's like a toy commercial. I'm sure that my kid will come out and say, I want a light cycle, Dad. You know, but... Um, but the toys have been terrible. Yeah, of course. The ones that I saw, they have this toy that, like, does a light-up display inside the head, uh-huh. like an LED kind of thing, of the face of the character. And when you press the button, it'll light up the face, and it will speak... And it's slightly animated to move the mouth with the words. That's not cool. It looks horrible. I bet. And it's, you know, give me a toy you play with. You know, if, if I was a kid, I wouldn't want that. Yeah. Because I make him talk. Right. You know? Well, it goes back to the lack of imagination required now. Yeah. You know? But. Yeah. So how was Voyage of the Dawn Treader? It was, it was good. I liked it better than Prince Caspian. Initially, I mean, I've, I've grown to like Prince Caspian better than I, I did on its initial uh, showing there. But I mean, the, I, I, what I don't like is when they take a book and then they make a movie based on the book, but they still call it the book, like uh, you know, Dracula. It was, that was not Bram Stoker's Dracula, <laughs> even though it says Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, you know, when they do that, I, I think it's just disingenuous, and it, it gives you the wrong information going in. Yeah. So some, sometimes I have to suspend my what I know about the book and go in and try to experience it and see if it has those, you know, little callbacks to the book and little things where you could say, "Oh, that was in the book." Okay, cool. They did use that. Um, yeah. This frustrated me more than Prince Caspian, especially more than Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, they built some scenes up, beefed some of the scenes up, but ultimately it was still the book. Mm-hmm. Prince Caspian, they added some stuff in, but it was stuff that, you know, could have been there. Yeah. You know, they still followed the same plot, mm-hmm. uh, except for that big battle scene in the, in the very, in, in the middle of the second act there. 
<laughs> um, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, they changed it. They changed it all. It became a cliche of what a book-to-movie translation looks like, where <laughs> they sat down. And I knew they are going to have trouble with this story anyway, because the story is a bunch of episodes, right? Mm-hmm. of them every chapter is them going to a different island and having right. a different adventure right. and the reason they're going around is because they're trying to find the seven lords and i knew they were changing it because of the trailer and i i could understand why because it doesn't have like one great big story and one great big finale right so i could understand that but then when i saw how much they changed it um i can understand taking two islands and the events on two islands, putting them on this on one island, I can live with that. That's not a big deal. It's a storytelling thing. I've done translations from one medium to another. Hedge Knight, I took someone's book and turned it into a comic book right. twice. Um, I've taken Bible stories, turned them into comic books. I had a comic book of mine, Armor Quest, that we were going to turn into an animated feature, and I worked for half a year trying to find the story that was going to be turned into this animated feature because they wanted it to be bigger and better and, and more exciting. Even though I thought it already was pretty, pretty good, pretty exciting. But, um, so I know that the challenges that you face with this kind of stuff, but they didn't have to change as much as they did where it just, it was a different story. It was, the characters were spot on. Perfect. The graphics were pretty cool. They hit some of the scenes that I was waiting to see and did them nicely, but they skipped some of the other scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, the way Eustace stops being a dragon. Yeah. I wanted to see that scene as it was in the book on the big screen. Yeah. Because that was cool. And it was just almost... They out on that one. I think, yeah, yeah. I think this is just a... Uh, it's, it's a sign of what's wrong with adapting particularly these books into film they were written as books you know and i know there's a market there and people went to see it and i guess it did okay at the box office but not good not really that good um these were these books are very hard to picture as films if you look at the way they're written they're written as fast stories you can read to your kids or the kids can read um, yeah, it, when you're trying to sell a franchise and you have the the characters in the first movie, and then all of a sudden in the third movie they they're not supposed to show up, it's it's hard because you you're losing the link in you're losing the the you know people grew up a couple of years ago watching Susan and watching Peter and watching Edmund and watching. Uh, Lucy, and now all of a sudden in this movie, it's just Lucy and Edmund. Yeah. And if they do Silver Chair, it's yeah. just Eustace and a new character. Yeah. Yeah. Although Eustace, the, he was awesome. Uh, the, our, the character, the actor who did Eustace, knocked it out of the park. Oh my goodness, he was, he was so good. He was such a pest at the beginning of the movie. You were just like, how are they ever going to redeem this character? And by the end. The character's demeanor had changed. He, the actor, had been able to act one way at the beginning and change the way he was acting. And, and it's acting. I mean, it's not like That's, the character actually did change. He did, yeah. and, and, and but it's it's acting. And you it, out of the movie, you're looking at this actor, and he actually did it. And That's another problem with the changes they made, where in the book he changes back from a dragon to a person. 
much earlier and much quicker. They keep him as a dragon for a really long time. Yeah. Every scene that he stayed a dragon that he wasn't supposed to be from what I you know remember from the book or whatever was a scene where we didn't get to see that actor play him. Yeah. And, and see actually the actor make the transition mm-hmm. instead of the CGI character of a dragon. It's just – it's a great looking movie. It's a well-paced movie. It's a well-made movie. It wasn't the book. And I was so proud of my son because um, he's read the book by himself. We've read it as a family out loud. And, you know, my mom – or my, my mom. Uh, his mom asked him. My wife asked him, so which you like better, the book or the, the movie? And he said, oh, I like both of them, but I like the book better, you know. <laughs> uh, cool. That's always good to hear. Yeah. Like my son was trying was reading uh, Prince Caspian for a book report, or no, the magician's nephew for a book report. And he's like, "Dad, this is so boring." <laughs> I'm like, "What? I love the magician's nephew." So like he's like, "Why aren't they making the magician's nephew <laughs> as a movie?" Oh. I'm like, "You'll be sorely disappointed with what they do with magician's nephew." If they get a here's here's what I what what's not going to happen now because this movie didn't do very well in the box yeah. office. I was thinking, you know, if they did all seven books, there's some real potential for some coolness here by using the original actors in The Horse and His Boy, which happens as they're growing up in Narnia mm-hmm. and turning into adults. Use, you can use the original actors at whatever age they're at right now, and you can make that movie right now. Yeah. And there's another Peter, Susan, Edmund, Lucy story right there. Yeah. Um, the Last Battle has everybody in it. And you yep. could, you know, you can make some changes and bring them in a little earlier, maybe or whatever. Well, um, Silver Chair is a great story, and actually, probably of all the books, one of the easiest to turn into a movie. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome. It, it features Eustace, which yeah. he could carry a movie. Man. It's, yeah, he could carry. So it's Silver Chair. That's a great story, but a terrible band. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of the band. Oh, they're from Australia. They were awful. They weren't that bad. Oh, come on. Did you listen to their lyrics? They made no sense. I don't think I listened to the lyrics, but, you know, it's, it was grunge, you know. Grunge lyrics aren't supposed to make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Even sure was uh, awful. thoughts arise like butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you, would you recommend Voyage of the Dawn Treader to people who may not have read the book or? I would recommend the book to people who haven't read the book. And I would recommend the movie to people who have read the book and have seen the first two movies. And if they enjoy the first two movies, they'll probably enjoy this one because they'll be set up for the changes that they've made in the movie. Gotcha. Yeah, if you enjoyed the first two movies, you'll like this movie. If you are a huge fan of the books like I am. I mean, I C.S. Lewis is one of the the icons in my in my mind of, of just great writers, you know? Yeah. And, and so it bothers me that they had to make so many changes to the story because I'm thinking to myself, why it's a good story. Yep. Make, you know, make one or two of those small changes to give it a little more oomph as far as the quest or whatever. Um, that's okay. Do that. Switch some of the islands around. So the scariest Island is the last one. That's okay. Yep. You know, that's, I, I can live with that. It's just some of the other changes they made that just bug me. But as when I remove the grumpy old man geek from the equation that's inside me, <laughs> it's a good movie. 
And I like the, at the at near the very end where Aslan actually says, you, you know, I'm known by a different name in the world that you come from. And in the books, it never comes right out and says that that's Jesus, but it's obvious. And, you know, he, uh, later on, he, he had, you know, uh, communication with someone who, and he did say that that was what it was. So in the movies, they keep that in there. They don't make it too heavy handed by saying, you know, my name is Jesus, you know, go find me in your world or something like that. But they didn't leave it out either. Well, that's just it. I'm surprised with all the changes they made, they left that in. Yeah. You know, well, I think, um, isn't his, his stepson is heavily involved in the production of these movies. He is. Yeah. So I don't think he would want him to, to remove that particular part of the story from it. And I mean, you look at what, you know, what Liam Neeson said a few weeks ago about uh, Aslan represents Muhammad and Allah and, you know, and yada, 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 and things like that. Um, he, I, don't, I think he has a fundamental, mi- fundamental misunderstanding of what Lewis was going for. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know? I think he has a fundamental misunderstanding of who Christ actually is. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he has to be forgiven for saying that because he just doesn't understand. Yeah. You know, the the Christ that that C.S. Lewis is writing about with Aslan is a personal, I want to know you and I want you to know me better person. Mm-hmm. And, right. and Liam Neeson says, well, he's like Muhammad and like Buddha and stuff like that. He's not. Aslan is nothing like those guys right. because he's like Christ. And yeah. you can't really compare them because it's a completely different style of relationship. Yeah. Right. You know, in, in these big religions. You know? Yeah. yeah. So... Um, so Liam on both... just talking out of his butt, man. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, so for both movies, Tron Legacy, great to go with the kids. Voyage of the Dawn Treader, I think, would be okay um, for older kids probably, right? Actually, it was much less intense than Prince Caspian. Wouldn't you oh, agree, really? Steve? I took a seven-year-old and I think a five-year-old to it. I, I took a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old and went with some friends who had a, uh, I want to say, 12-year-old and a 10-year-old or a nine-year-old. And it's it really wasn't. There's there's one scary creature at the end. Yes, that was the scary creature. They did a great job on that, Um, but it wasn't the type of thing where it's it's going to be in your face for the whole movie. It's not chasing the characters the whole time. You know the the characters are in. peril but it's all the characters all together that are in peril it's not like one getting attacked by this one hideous right. thing yeah. so, it's, you know. it's not too intense for for younger viewers if they saw prince caspian and they weren't bothered by it then yeah. definitely they won't be bothered by this at all prince caspian there were some dark moments in that movie yeah so uh that's good two great movies you can take your family to uh don't go to yogi bear don't do that. Go to Voyage of the Dawn Treader. <laughs> Go to uh, T- Tron Legacy. It's Christmas vacation. Enjoy yourself with your family. Go to the movies. There's a couple things out there for you to see. And w- and Hollywood needs to know that there are families that want to go to the movies. So the if you go to them, they'll probably make some more. <laughs> so um, what's next on the docket, Mr. Avery? You've reached the Avery's. Leave a message. Your machine. After the beep. 
Uh, hey, hey, Ben. It's Lou. Lou Bitterman. From the lost... Uh, I mean... I know you didn't want your wife to know about the... I mean... Anyway, I was thinking about what you said, uh, you know, the other day, about women and how, you know, you just need to keep looking for a new woman, right? Even though you found a good woman. And I want to do that too, Ben. Ben, listen, you've got to call me because I found a, a woman, Seriously, you were right about the internet. That is a great place to find out about upcoming, uh, about upcoming women. Uh, you, you didn't tell me that I could watch er, women on the internet like that. So, yeah, I think I've met a new woman on the internet, and I think you'll like her too. She's not as good as that great woman you were talking about, you know, that we found earlier. Not on the internet, but even though, like you said, all women are just looking for money, I think this one is a keeper. I think you'll like her. I, I really, really like her myself. Uh, so just give me a call, and I'll tell you about her if you haven't already met her on the internet. Um, unless you have cable. I think she was on cable first. So, yeah, see ya. This was Lou. Lou Bitterman, from the group, the the woman group. Bye. The Fanboy Toll Booth presents a comic book review by Professor Negatron. Hello, I am Professor Negatron, supervillain and aspiring comic book writer. This is my lackey. I call him Lackey. No one cares. Now, I've gotten some listener mail asking me about what happened after the last episode when I was under the influence of nerve endings, show tune, zombie gas. Well, I got a listener mail asking me about it. Okay, fine. It was from nerve ending, and he was asking me about when I was going to give him the quarter million dollars. But he listened, and it was mail, right? Anyway... I figured out one of two ways to get the money for him. I'm going to rob a bank, and if that doesn't work, I'm going to start a webcomic. For the time being, I have a temporary antidote from him until I can get the money. Of course, if I can't get the money, my lackey and I are, even as we speak, working on reverse engineering the antidote. So now I'm back, and I'm back to review comics. What I want to talk about today was spawned by seeing there is a new Venom project in the works. And Venom is... Wait for it... A good guy. Now, the details aren't important. The Venom symbiote is paired with a good guy who Marvel Comics have yet to reveal some sort of super secret thing. They're trying to build suspense. And he becomes a globe-trotting super spy, fighting evil, because the hero inside has the power to resist Venom or something. My question is, why? Why are all the coolest villains turned into good guys? Why aren't we? as villains properly represented in the media. Let's think about this. A villain pops up in a comic. He becomes popular. So what happens? He's turned into a good guy just so he can have his own series and make more money and stuff like that. This is ridiculous. Now, Venom is not the first. There's Hawkeye, Punisher, Wolverine, Emma Frost, Magneto, who's gone back and forth a couple times, but that's because the creators spun him so that he never was really evil, just really overzealous. Juggernaut. 
Silver Surfer, Electra, Catwoman, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch. Now granted, these characters sometimes became anti-heroes, but whatever happened into just letting evil characters be evil? Just because they're cool doesn't mean they have to become normal all of a sudden. This question came up because of the season. It's Christmas. So Christmas movies are playing all, all the time on television. I caught the beginning of A Christmas Carol. I only watch the beginning of Christmas movies and turn them off before the final act when all the cheese sets in. I mean, seriously, Christmas stories have more cheese than a convention of uh, cheese collectors. Uh, anyway, there's the other classic Christmas story, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Both of these stories start off good enough with plenty of evil selfishness. But by the end, both of these so-called villains turn into good guys. It's meant to be heartwarming, but in truth, it's stomach-churning. We've discussed this before with Darth Vader. I don't understand why people find so much joy in the story of someone who is evil turning over the proverbial leaf. What, Lackey? No, that's the most foolish thing I've ever heard. I mean, of course it's not some sort of deeply ingrained longing for humanity to overcome its own evil tendencies and strive for goodness because a spark of divinity has planted a knowledge of good and evil within us. Just shut your mouth, okay? Look, there's all sorts of problems with these stories, but here's the problem with the Grinch. As a villain, he completely ignores the effort versus reward ratio that every villain must consider. Take, for instance, the first Superman movie. Lex Luthor's real estate scheme has been mocked by some, but not by me. It's a really good plan. Buy some real estate, steal some missiles, fire them off, and let the missiles do all the work of dropping California into the ocean, and blam, profits. That's a good scheme. Now, Batman's villains building elaborate traps that, if they work, would effectively kill Batman, except these enormous, expensive traps are built exactly to his strengths. Ninja-level athleticism in a utility belt with just about anything in it. That's not a good scheme. Now, villains who want to take over the world, they're really not taking into consideration all the work that will happen afterward, the paperwork, the organization of slave labor camps, the distribution of wealth to those who will become the underclass, the selection of the upper class, the squashing of rebellions. What a hassle. That's why I'm never going to take over the world. What? No, really, that's the reason why. So, here's the Grinch who steals Christmas, which will supposedly make the Who's down in Whoville miserable instead of happy at Christmas. There are three major flaws in his plan. Number one. He didn't do the research. If he had just done some research, he would have realized that the Who's don't lose their joy like that. He should have known that maybe Christmas meant a little bit more to them. Two, he didn't commit. Had he done the research, he would have realized that he needed to do something more extreme. Not steal Christmas, just kidnap Cindy Lou Who or something and ransom her. I'll give her back if you don't sing. They wouldn't sing then, let me tell you. He also, number three, didn't take into account the effort to reward equation. A full day of work, turning himself and his dog into Santa and a reindeer, a full night of no sleep, stealing, all that stuff, then taking all that stuff up the mountain again to dump over the side of a cliff, also he can avoid one day of noise? Really? That's worth it to you? That's like saying, I'm going to stay up all night just so I can really enjoy my nap the next day. Here's an idea. Have your cake and eat it too. He could have just gone on vacation or something. Seriously, just leave on that day. Go somewhere nice and quiet. He lives in the mountains. Doesn't seem like he'd have to go too far to find a nice spot. Problem solved. But no. 
We want the story about the bad guy who does something really bad, only to be inspired by the good guys and turn good. How unrealistic. So, meanwhile, I build my giant robot shaped like Father Time, complete with that uh, long, pointy, J-shaped, upside-down J uh, weapon thingy, so I can rob that bank in mid-Ohio. I did the research. They have the amount of money I need to pay both nerve-ending and for the, the parts for my robot, and then also to rent the Mobotmobile from Mobot. Uh, so I can transport Father Time underground. Oh, that reminds me, I need to reserve that now. I was going to do this for New Year's. It'd be silly for me to do it any other day with a robot shaped like Father Time. It's going to take three days to get there from Molbot's lair. I need to reserve it now. He requires a deposit. Anyway, Giant Father Time will pop out of the ground, rob the bank, and I'll be ringing in the New Year with my $250,000 for nerve ending. And if that doesn't work, there's always my webcomic. All right, uh, so that was Professor Negatron. We're going to leave that to uh, to uh, for you all to comment on. Yeah, <laughs> feel free to comment on the blog. What? How come it seems to make so much sense? Is my my quandary? I think the key word in your question, Steve, is seems to. <laughs> so, well, um. are you one of those guys that kind of sides with the villain sometimes? Me? No. Yeah. See, well. You know what? I had I had one of those quandaries today. We were watching Frosty the Snowman. We have this Bankin Rass uh, or Rankin Bass, yeah, uh, set, set. Mm-hmm. and and Frosty is in there. And I kind of side with Professor Hinkle in the beginning of Frosty. They do steal his hat. Yeah, I mean he has a case. You know, <laughs> and and where were the parents when these kids were running around going to the North Pole? You know, I I kind of yeah. side with the bad guy in that movie. Yeah, and and then you have Rudolph, where Santa Claus is a jerk. To oh, Rudolph. totally, totally. <laughs> I could. I was watching it with my kids yesterday morning, and at the very first scene where he first meets Rudolph, I'm thinking to myself, "Whoa, I don't remember Santa Claus acting like this." Yeah, Santa. Oh, you'll have to take care of that nose, won't you? Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, uh, can't uh, have he... that if you're to be on my team. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Why <laughs> Santa Santa is kind of a jerk, and he only goes to Rudolph when he needs him. You know, just like just up there. If it wasn't just a foggy night, maybe he'd go to Rudolph and say, "Hey, Rudolph, I think I dropped my keys behind the couch. Can you get over here?" <laughs> but then, then Santa he actually throughout the whole episode, he's a jerk to everybody. Like when the the mean uh, elf manager comes by, yeah, and and brings the elves to sing for Santa, and Santa's just sitting there. When's this gonna be over? I'm just gonna. Oh my goodness! I have things to do, and I have to listen to these elves sing. You're Santa Claus. You live in the North Pole with elves, and they're practicing for Christmas, which is your day. They're yeah. doing this for you, man. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You, I, wow, Santa is a jerk. Maybe he so, maybe he figures all the benevolence and the nice stuff he does on Christmas Eve pay, is like balancing out his jerkhood for the rest of the year. I don't know. I mean, and then you watch. Year without a Santa Claus, he's a jerk then too. Yeah, I'm not gonna go do Santa stuff because you know what? Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody gives me a present. I'm just gonna stay in bed. I have a cold. Yeah. Then, then like he that. called up Hanukkah Harry, and then his little elf 
friends in that deer go past the cold meister and the hot meister and the deer almost dies because they're trying to get him back into the spirit of Christmas. Yeah. I mean, don't get me started on Santa Claus. Yeah. Santa's kind of a jerk. (laughs) At least in the Rankin Bass boat movies he is. Well, maybe Uh, they have an underlying distaste for Santa. Those guys over at Rankin Bass. I don't don't know. I, I, I love those movies, but yeah. I, I, I didn't start thinking about this until I was watching it with my kids. So, <laughs> New I eyes. didn't say anything to them, though. I don't want to ruin it for them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I yeah, I didn't present to my kids why I think Professor Hinkle is uh, right in Frosty. I, I, I don't know. I should talk to a lawyer. Could Professor Hinkle actually sue Frosty? That sounds like a great— well, By the end, he doesn't want to, though. Yeah, I mean, well, because end, Santa intervenes okay, and says, you're not going to get what you want if you keep it up. That's true. <laughs> you know, he doesn't ask anybody else for something. He doesn't so ask us to give property, him But I'm not going to give you anything new unless you give up what you gave. Santa See, is Santa's a, a jerk. <laughs> That's it. I've decided Santa's a jerk. You have to give up what you have so you can get something else from me. Yeah. Oh, man, that Santa Claus. And so, from a quite negative view of Christmas. We now move back to the child reviews of comic books. As we take a look back into the past at a child who is no longer quite such a child. And some adults who can't do math. Let's listen. We're kids and we like comics. Hello, today I'm reviewing Tiny Titans number 11 by Art Balzar and Franco. I like the stories of Beast Boy and Terra because my favorite my favorite character is Beast Boy and Beast Boy tries to impress Terra and Terra keeps throwing rocks at him. In one story, there's lots of different stories. Beast Boy dresses up like a rock to try to like impress Terra and she doesn't take the impressment. I also really like the art in this book. It's like kids actually wrote actually drew this because it's sort of like the real DC comics but it's also fun in a little children way. There's also fun stuff at the end of this book. Oh, and there's more than one story. There's there's stuff like mazes and things. And there's this... One of the stories is this cool story where a guy reads your mind. And I'm going to try to read your mind. Think of any number between 1 and 50. Got it? Now add 8 to your number, then subtract 5, add 7, subtract 6, finally subtract your original number. My psychic abilities tell me your answer is 4. And that's all. I'm a 9-year-old boy. Merry Christmas, good God. So did you guys have the right number? 
well, yeah, he had the answer. It was amazing. Yeah, he had. The, I mean, he I don't read know. my mind. <laughs> he did. Is it read. supposed? Is it supposed to be everyone picks the same number? Is that how this works? No, it's just whatever number you pick, you're going to get the same answer. So, what number did you pick? I picked fifty. I picked thirty-five. Okay, so everyone got the same answer in the end, though. No, it didn't work for me. What happened to you? I have no idea. Uh, I think did you I use a calculator? I, I didn't record. I didn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't like. I used paper and my fingers, and I'm wearing socks, so I couldn't use my toes. So I probably messed up the math somewhere. But you could you could pick a smaller number. I could. Yeah. But why would I want to do that? Because then it would be easier to add and subtract. Yeah, but what if you really like the number 35? What does subtract mean? <laughs> Wait, what does subtract mean? You're like Minus. a math atheist, right? <laughs> a mathiest. A mathiest, yes. I'm a mathiest. I don't believe in numbers. They yes. don't exist. But I do believe in Tiny Titans, and I'm so glad one one of our kids got to do a review of one of their books. Yeah, it was my fun- kids love those books too. Yeah, I my favorite line is the uh, is the one about how it's drawn like kids would draw it. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say, uh, <laughs> I said um, the. How do you put that? She didn't take. She the doesn't impressment. take the impressment. Yeah. <laughs> you tried to impress her, but she doesn't take the impressment. No, she doesn't. If I had a dollar for every time a girl didn't take the impressment, <laughs> I'd have like. I'd be a rich man. You'd be dollarful. Yeah. And so, even though their children have grown old, there is another thing that has not changed, and that is that, even back then. They were old. Here's proof. Let's listen. I was there on Pac-Man Day. I bought the Pac-Man Fever album on Pac-Man Day. Oh, my god! That's how much of a geek I am. Do you still have it? I I believe I still do, yes. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I actually could sing some of the songs from it. There's a song about Berserk. There's a song about Donkey Kong, about Defender, about Pac-Man. Um, I, know, I remember just, I could sing the Donkey Kong song. Can you? Little, yeah. A little bit of it? Come on, come on. Come on, come, come on. on do, the do, the Kong. Kong. <laughs> do the Donkey Kong. Do the Donkey Kong. Do the Donkey Kong. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You guys are geeks. <laughs> my, my cousin had that on. He taped it off the radio, I think. And we played it over and over and over again. Nice. Yeah, All I right. Think I well, actually... I'm trying to remember if I had the, the 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 song for Berserk is a love song, and I think I might have had that uh, as part of the music at my wedding. I'm not sure if I did or not, but it's just it's a beautiful. I'm just song. gonna go with you didn't because uh, it was just a beautiful song. Your poor I mean, wife. The, what is wrong with her? It, <laughs> I mean, I think I had uh, Ozzy Osbourne's "Goodbye to Romance." I think in the mix too, but I'm not sure. But I just had some really great stuff at our wedding and. I, I just programmed all the music myself, but I'm trying to think if I had that. It was just it was a beautiful love song. I think I'm going berserk. I think I'm losing my mind. I'm getting lost in the shuffle. It happens every time. I think I'm going berserk. Would you like to come too? I, think, I can't I, stop now. I, I'm addicted. I'm berserk over you. Hello? 
Ben? Is this Ben? Hi, Lou. It's Lou, Lou Betterman. I know, Lou. Hey, you never called me back. Lou, my wife listened to your message before I could. Good thing I used code, huh? Lou, I slept on the couch last night. What? Why? Lou, you left a message telling me you were going to introduce me to a woman who was better than that great woman I met before. Oh, so your wife didn't like that. Is that why you were sleeping on the couch? Well, yes, sort of. Uh, so she was pretty angry about your message until I explained to her about what you were really talking about. And then I told her about the lost rehab group and how I was driving out to Gary halfway between South Bend and Chicago to meet with you and the other guys. And I had never told her about the group before. She thought I was uh, going to a part-time job. And uh, she was pretty upset. Oh, good. So it's not my fault. Listen, Ben, have you heard the good news? Yeah, I, I heard you met a woman. Well, not a real woman, Ben. A metaphorical woman. A TV show. I thought you'd figure that out. Yes, Lou. I figured that out. What's going on? Who is she? I, I mean, what is it? Well, it's a, it's a show on cable, which I don't have. But I got the internet and found that I could watch TV on the internet. And the reception is really good. Better than my rabbit ears. Lou, seriously, I don't have time for this. I'm making my wife dinner tonight. I'm trying to get back in her good graces. You should make her a lost salad. I'm not making her a lost salad. You should totally make her a lost salad. It's really good until you eat it. I'm not making her a lost salad, Lou. Do you not get that lost is what got her mad at me? She was so happy when it was canceled because it meant I wasn't thinking about it all the time. And when we were done with group, I wasn't thinking about it all the time until you started calling me all the time. Oh, sorry. Uh, anyway, Ben, I found a new show, and we're not in any danger of it getting canceled. You see, it's part of a franchise that has been on TV for like 15 years. And I was never interested in this franchise until this newest version of the show. Oh, no. Seriously, Ben, it's like... <clears throat> Battlestar Galactica with a touch of Lou. Star Trek Deep Space Nine wrapped in a lost-like continuity and continuing serialized adventure. Lou, listen it's to me. It's got mystery, adventure, Lou. an overweight geek. Lou, listen, I know. it's not going I... anywhere anytime soon because it's part of a franchise that's been around for like forever. Lou, I know what you're talking about. i never about. liked the franchise before. Too space opera-ish, you know? L Lou. But this is serious and gritty and interesting. Lou, please listen Plus, to me. I know what you're talking about. And Did you know they changed their name, sort of? Uh, kind of stupid, but, you know, whatever. No, Lou, uh, first of all, when you consider that sci-fi is a generic term that anyone can use, and when you're trying to brand yourself, you want your name to become generic because of you, like Kleenex or Xerox. Not generic before you even started using it, like sci-fi, but anytime you see the new sci-fi name, you automatically equate it with the channel, not with... Why am I arguing with you about this? Who's arguing? I'm not arguing. You're just ranting. No wonder your wife put you on the couch. Lou, seriously, dude, you are getting on my last nerve. Okay, okay, I get it. You want me to reveal the name of the new show. Okay, okay, I will. No, Lou, that's not what I meant. It's Stargate, Stargate Universe. Universe. You knew? Yes, Lou. I watch it all the time. I love that show. Great. We can watch it together. You and me. Lou, you live in Chicago. Our group meetings were in a nice central location. So we can meet in a central location and watch Stargate Universe. No, Lou, no. Ben, it's a new show. A new shot at happiness. Lou, it's not a new show. It's been on. 
for two seasons. I know, I know. And so I went back and watched them all, and now I'm all caught up, and I'm watching the new episodes now, and I'm just so excited. Lou, I thought you said you had the internet. I do, but I decided I would avoid all spoilers, and I have. Lou, this show, it isn't going to last. Ben, the Stargate franchise is what helped make the Sci-Fi Channel. They aren't going to cancel it. Lou, they already did. Lou? Lou? Just a second. I'm processing. So, you want to start a Stargate Universe rehab group? No, Lou, no. I'm sorry. We could Skype. I have internet now. Lou, buddy, I'm broken up as, as much as you, but no, I'm, I'm sorry. You all, everybody. You all, everybody. No, Lou, no. Okay, I get it. I, I'm, okay. The rest, as they say, is history. These clips were culled from the remaining six episodes out of ten that Ben and Jeremy and Steve produced over the course of about a year or so. I don't know. I didn't do the research. And I don't plan to. I mean, this is a paid gig, but barely. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. The point being, the rest is history. After those ten episodes... Ben and Steve and their friend Dr. Jace went on to create Strangers and Aliens. And so 250 episodes ago, podcast listeners heard this in their ear holes. Let's listen. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. Strangers I am your father's best friend's plumber. Versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did was that He created something. So we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens podcast. Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of Strangers and Aliens, a podcast about faith and imagination. I'm Ben. I'm Steve. And I'm Dr. Jace. And this is the show where three geeks talk about science fiction and fantasy and imagination and everything and look at it through the lens of our faith. Or it could be the other way around, looking at our faith through the lens of science fiction and fantasy. Um, Since this is the pilot episode, not many people know us. In fact, possible that nobody knows us. So let's go ahead and... Hey, speak for yourself. 
I, I, I am, but I'm also oh. speaking for you. Oh. So, um, <laughs> let's do it. You know me. That's all that matters. You know me. So let's do a, a quick, uh, just a brief introduction to yourself. Uh, if anybody wants more in-depth information, they can go to our website and everything. But, and I'm going to cut them off there because you can hear that it's out there. We didn't have to uncover that anywhere because it still exists as a podcast. You know what I'm saying? And so time went on for the Strangers and Aliens podcast. They joined a podcast geek blog network thing, which I'm going to play the uh, thing for right now because they're contractually obligated to play it for every episode. Here it comes. This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. That's what I was talking about before, the niche within the, within the niche, within a podcasting sub-genre of a sub-niche of a whatever. But they have now done 250 episodes, although I did the heavy lifting for this one. <laughs> Seriously, they're supposed to pay me. I mean, they've got a sponsor for the episode and everything. I mean, their, their sponsor is Dogwings.us, and uh, it's somewhere you can go for all of your caricature and logo and branding and design needs. Great work. Great price. Check them out, dogwings.us. But they're paying me with McDonald's Halloween coupons. I mean, food's food, but come on. Anyway, stay tuned after the end credits for an extended interview with Godzilla that maybe goes on just a little bit too long, which is why we didn't edit it into the regular episode. And so I want to now thank you for listening. And as my friend, although I'm not sure how much longer we're going to be friends, he insists that paying me with McDonald's Halloween coupons is Anyway, as my friend Ben would say, thank you so much for listening, and Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast, hosted by Ben Avery, Evan David, Steve McDonald, and Dr. Jason Neal. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. We'd love for you to join the conversation by going to our website at strangersandaliens.com, where you'll find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com. Or you can join our social media conversations by following us on Twitter, where we are at Strange and Alien, or liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangersandaliens. Or leave us a voicemail by calling the Strangers and Aliens hotline. That number is one 804 And once again, thanks for listening. Yeah, this is a, an interview. It um, was given to us by uh, the, the host of Behind the Curtain. Love. Laughter. Life. I'm Vincent Templeton Smith Argon, Dream Dragon von Rensburg Donaldson Carbony. And we are going to explore those subjects and more with our celebrity guest on Behind the Curtain with Vincent Templeton Smith Argon, Dream Dragon von Rensburg Donaldson Carbony.
Hello, I'm Vincent Templeton Smith, Argon Dream Dragon, Von Rensberg, Donaldson Carboni, and I'm here now with our special guest, the star of the Godzilla series of movies from Toho, and now on tour to promote his new comic book series, Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters. Please welcome to my studio, Godzilla. Oh, you're welcome. But, um, Godzilla, I must t- correct you. It's not uh, Vincent Templeton Smith, Argon, Dream Dragon, Von Rensburg, Carboni, Donaldson. It's Vincent Templeton Smith, Argon, Dream Dragon, Von Rensburg, Donaldson, Carboni. <laughs> yes, uh, but you can call me Vince. I mean, let's face it, I can't say your real name either, which is why I'm so glad you are okay with me calling you by the Americanized version of your name. So, Godzilla, uh, how was the trip from Japan? <laughs> Boy, are your arms tired. <laughs> That's a good joke. It never, never, ever gets old. Oh, you're not joking. Yes, of course. You would have to swim across the ocean. I can see where that would tire out your arms. I thought you were telling the old joke about flying on a plane and your arms got... Uh, Never mind. You're here to promote your new book, Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters. Um, How do you feel about it? Really, because the reviewers I've seen don't seem to find quite that level of subtext. In fact, uh, you're the first person I've heard use the term Kafkaesque to describe the comic book. Ah, yes. Now, Dickens-esque, that I would be willing to accept. So, let's move on to your earlier career. I mean, comic books are wonderful and all, but you've had an illustrious career. You've been in over 20 movies. 30! Oh, well, who's counting? Yes, well, of course you are, uh, because you've been in them. Now... Um, what did you think of the one Godzilla movie you weren't in? The American Godzilla movie featuring Matthew Broderick. You're kidding, but that didn't even look like you. A girdle, really. So, who, uh, looking back at your uh, career on the silver screen, has been your favorite co-star? Now, I've heard that Matthew Broderick can be a lot of fun on the set, but there's surely some... King Kong. But I've heard that King Kong was very difficult to work with. He's notorious for throwing tantrums and making unreasonable demands, things like only green M&Ms in his dressing room and yelling at production crew. His yelling was justified. How so? Well, yes, I have to agree. If a production crew member did that to my leg hairs, I'd yell at him as well. Uh, Speaking of co-stars, your son has co-starred with you in a number of movies, but one person never gets talked about. What can you tell us about his mother? 
Oh, I am truly sorry. I didn't mean to open any old wounds. Oh, that's just terrible. I... I am so sorry. No, no, we will continue only if you think you can. I, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I, I think, actually, you've done a remarkable job caring for your son as a single father. No, I'm not just saying that because you have atomic breath. That, that was a joke, right? Okay. <laughs> well, now teenagers are like that, aren't they? Now, Mothra. How did you know I was going to ask that? Of course, we're all curious. So which is it? Mothra seems to avoid the question. Yes, yes, you're right. I guess that is a, a private matter. And I will ask Mothra myself when I get a chance. So let me ask you this one then. Who would win in a fight? You or Gamera? The movie studios! I love your wit. Uh, so, moving on to current events. The U.S. involvement in Libya. What's your take? No, no, no. We can't just drop all the world leaders on the island and make them fight to the death. Well, I know we did that to you and the other monsters, but you guys are giant monsters. Now, Godzilla, I wouldn't call world politicians monsters. <laughs> yes, it isn't fair to the monsters. Indeed. <laughs> Last question. From 1978 to 1981, Hanna-Barbera aired your first role in an American production in the Saturday morning cartoon Godzilla. Well, yes, I know it was the 70s, but no. No, my question isn't about that, although now that you mention it, that's something that I would like to come back to. No, no, my audience expects me to ask the tough questions, and I have to ask. This show, it features you, Godzilla, king of all monsters, greatest kaiju of them all fighting other extraordinary deadly creatures isn't that enough you don't need a scrappy doo or a goofy space monkey gleek type sidekick so i just want to know why yes godzilla that's my question exactly why godzuki oh i see your sister's son Well, you could have said no to her. I mean, you could have told her that it was a bad idea. And that if you put your nephew in the show, his jabbering around and stumbling and everything would turn your cartoon into a joke. No, that's true. I don't know your sister. Well, I'm just going to have to take you at your word that I also could not say no to your sister. But I have to imagine that if it's someone who can intimidate the great Godzilla, she must have... No, no, I, I didn't mean 
to offend you. I no, it's nothing against your sister. I, or, I I don't want to insult her. I just no. The question's about the, the cartoon. The, no, I, I'm, I'm, this isn't about your sister. You're proud of your work on that show. Seriously, did you watch the same show I watched? I mean. This is a show about people who have a little button they can press to call a 30 stories tall creature whenever they get in trouble. But at the first sign of any kind of other monster that's not you, all they can say is, I can't believe a monster that eats electricity exists. Or, I can't believe a monster that eats city buildings is impossible. It's impossible. They're best friends with Godzilla, and that's impossible? No, it's lazy writing, not character development. And the comic relief from Godzuki was lazy writing as well. No, no, I didn't mean... I was just saying the presence of a character like that limited... I know it was on the air for three years. No, I guess you can't call that unsuccessful. Listen, I, I'm sorry, Godzilla, if I... And so, folks, once more, Godzilla lumbers away slowly into the sunset. So, until next time, when we interview everyone's favorite Ultraman ripoff, Jet Jaguar. Oh, come on, Godzilla. Even you have to admit that Jet Jaguar was a ripoff of... Oh, never mind. Until next time, for Behind the Curtain with Vincent Templeton-Smith, Argon, Dream Dragon, Von Rensburg, Donaldson, Carbony. I'm Vincent Templeton-Smith, Argon, Dream Dragon, Von Rensburg, Donaldson, Carbony. Signing off. Good day. And good health. All right. Well, um, I'm, I'm glad that Godzilla didn't, uh, you know, step on him or breathe on him or anything. Um, I thought we were heading in that direction so